three weeks into September, the summer's finished, the term has begun, and uh, the daily routine is just beginning to fall back into place for many of us. And in the last few weeks, there have been a whole host of magazines published, magazine articles published, on why September is the other January, or the other time of year, the best time of year to clean out your office or get on top of your finances or start the exercise regime or reflect on your life goals. It seems like September is almost now officially the beginning of the year. As we celebrated our 21st birthday last Sunday, it was wonderful to reflect on what the Lord's been doing in and among us and in looking back, especially at this time of year, inevitably leads us to look forward. It's a time of year that leads us to reflect on where we're going. Those of you who are new to Trent or you're visiting this evening uh, will have seen that we're expanding our physical space. You may not have spotted that, that's just a week old now, but certainly the construction site out the back there, we're building a brand new kids center. And as I've watched the buildings expand over these recent months in anticipation of more people being embraced to be a part of us, I felt the Lord wanting to impress a parallel process on us. Alongside the physical building process, he's wanting us to pay attention to what we are building here as a church, what we are making room for. When you talk to the average person in the street about church, the thing that probably immediately comes to their mind is that they would think of a building, perhaps something that looks a bit like this. If you're visiting today, you may have been surprised turning up to find that we didn't look at all like that, but we just simple, we're a simple blue warehouse on an industrial estate. For many people, the church is a place that people go to, a place where perhaps they would go to get married, or they would go to somebody's funeral or things like that, but it's a place. And you probably often hear people referring to going to church. But we believe that the church isn't a place that you go to, it is something that we are. And the Bible paints a whole lot of pictures about the church and what it is, especially the Apostle Paul, who describes the church as the body of Christ. Jesus is in heaven, we are his body here on earth, corporately. He talks about it being a building. Paul describes the church as being members of the same household, where in Ephesians 2 it says this, in him, Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The message version of this passage puts it this way. God is building a home. Now he's using you, fitting you in, brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, just as we do physically there. Day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. And so the parallel is pretty clear, isn't it? As we see the physical building, uh, so we, with God's help, are building a community of people. So I'm beginning a series today which will explore over coming weeks, the five hallmarks of Trent. And we will be looking at some of the key features that I believe God has built into our design. And the first one I want to look at today is about being outward looking. We are an outward looking church. And this is a quality which you guys demonstrate just in so many ways. 
Examples from just last Sunday include the opening of that space, as many of you have given huge amounts of resources to make room for more. You know, we have enough room for ourselves. We have actually, our space needs are met. But uh, we have responded to the Lord's invitation to make room for more people than we've given for those yet to come. What we did last Sunday in commissioning two church plants and announcing another in the pipeline demonstrates that we're not inward looking. We're not just looking out for our own comfort, wanting to hold on to people that we love. We, we recognize that God wants others to be blessed just as we have been blessed. And so as sacrificial as it may feel, we're committed to saying yes when God prompts people to leave to plant new churches. Jesus spent much of his time talking with individuals and with small groups and with crowds of people and people just flocked to hear him. And he spoke with an authority they'd never heard before, such love, such compassion, such acceptance. And people, you know, like prostitutes and criminals and people whose society rejected were drawn to spend time with Jesus. And his invitation went out to anyone who would receive it. His invitation was, come, come. And so we see him say, come, follow me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. Go hungry. Come to me, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Most of us here this evening have responded to Jesus' invitation, but some of us here haven't yet done so, and his invitation to you is come, come to Jesus, and this evening is a great time to make that decision to do that. It may be that you have responded to Jesus' invitation to come to him, but right now life is giving you a bit of a battering. I believe Jesus would want you to hear that invitation again, come with your weariness and your burdens and your hunger and your thirst and come by yourself to a quiet place with Jesus where you can find rest for your soul. If that describes you, then it might be good for you to kind of camp there for a while and uh, let some of what I'm gonna say tonight pass over you. Others of you are not in that place and what I'm about to say really is for you. Jesus doesn't just invite us to come to him. If we look at the Gospels, the first four books in the New Testament part of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the Gospels. In those books, we see that after Jesus extends again and again and again this invitation to come to him, somewhere around the halfway point, another emphasis emerges in the language that he uses, the things that he's saying to his disciples, those who've chosen to respond to his invitation to come. We see his language shift, and he now says, go. What we see in the Gospels is that coming to be with Jesus also means going to extend his kingdom. Because Jesus understood what it meant to be sent. He'd been sent to live among us with a mission to usher in the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God, all, everything he said, talked about the kingdom, everything he did demonstrated the power of the kingdom. 
In the description of Jesus' life in Luke's gospel, the first time we see him teaching is from the book of Isaiah, and he turns to this old scroll, finds the place where this is written. This is recorded in Luke chapter four. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah was a prophet who wrote that about 700 years before Jesus, and Jesus understood that he was the fulfillment of that passage. The Spirit was on him to do all that stuff, a description, really, a job description of uh, demonstrating the kingdom of God. And so the very first thing he does in his first teaching engagement is explain why he had come. He had been sent. And throughout the Gospels, Jesus often refers to the Father as the one who sent me. In fact, just preparing for this talk, I looked up the phrase, sent me. And in the Gospels, predominantly in John's Gospel, Jesus uses the phrase about himself 39 times. Clearly, Jesus was a person sent on a mission. And he goes on to invite us to join with him in it. For example, when he calls the first disciples, he says in Matthew 4, come, follow me, and something will happen to you. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He wasn't just calling them to spend time with him, enjoying their relationship. He didn't stay with them in the synagogue or in their homes. He invited them to join with him in ministering to those around them, to actually join with that great commission. The Spirit of the Lord is now on us to do all those things we just read about. And he took them out to places that they had never ventured, to the homes of some of the most reviled people in the society of the day, places the religious people wouldn't dream of going, where they met people with leprosy, where those who were disabled and in pain and nefarious characters from all sorts of areas of you know, the underworld, they were there and he met with them there. And later in Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. He sends them off to do the things that they've been doing together. And he says this, go. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. You've come, now it's time to go. Just as Jesus was sent to a world that needed him, he sends us now to a world still in very desperate need. In John 17, we find a prayer recorded where Jesus is talking to his father and he said this, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. John 20, again, Jesus says, as the father has sent me, I'm sending you. And I love this little phrase that just captures what I'm talking about here. It comes from Mark chapter 3, verse 14. Speaking of Jesus, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out. There's not even a comma between those two things. For Jesus, they're one and the same. He calls us to be with him, but far more. As the Father sent him, Jesus sends us. It's just a, a wonderful thing to be invited to enjoy a relationship with Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to be called into the family of God, to be adopted as his sons and daughters. We get to enjoy the Lord, we get to enjoy each other as we walk this walk together in the church. But with that relationship comes the adventure 
of spending time with Jesus doing what he is doing. He invites us to partner with him in extending his kingdom. And you know, you at Trent Vineyard, you have taken up that invitation. So many things happen in the life of the church that we never hear about. I'm just gonna give you a few glimpses just now. I'm so blessed when I hear stories of people being outward looking. So this one comes from Ian and Liz Gregson's small group. As part of the Love Your Neighbor series that we did in the summer, uh, their group gave out chocolates and drinks with a sticker on, which said, coincidentally, the verse I read earlier, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And some of the group went and they stood just outside the Queen's Medical Center and uh, they were just able to meet lots of people coming in, going out of the hospital. And one of the people they met was a visitor just coming out of the QMC. And when they, they gave this woman the chocolates and a drink with this sticker, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. She said this, you just don't know what this means to me. My husband has just come out of a coma and this has really spoken to me. And they were able to give her a Changing Lives booklet and uh, she took that away to read it. And you know, they were there. They could have been at home, they could have been doing something to serve their own interests, but they chose to be outside the door and a person in that moment was so encouraged by their presence. There are teams of people who go out onto the streets of Nottingham uh, regularly, every week, speaking to people and offering to pray for people. And one week, uh, two team members started a conversation with someone who said, this is weird. I was just thinking about God on the bus, literally just now, and you've walked straight up to me to ask me this question about God. And they had this little chat with him. He was actually in a rush at the time, but he asked if he could exchange phone numbers so they could meet up later. And um, uh, one of the team has now met with him three times and is developing that relationship. God called one couple in the church to actually move house to invest in other people. Martin and Doreen Kirkby felt God calling them to actually move into the center of Nottingham and they subsequently did that. They started to build relationships with people, shopping in the same places, people who live and work there and getting to know people. And they had the opportunity to pray for a number of people. And a few months ago, one of the staff at their local Tesco's confided in them that she had been diagnosed with cancer. She didn't feel that she had anyone in the world she could talk to about this. And because of the trust that they'd already built up, she asked if she could meet up with Doreen for a coffee. And so she could talk through just this swirl of emotions and everything that came with that diagnosis. And they were able to pray for her and have been a real support to her in this immensely difficult time. Just this week, uh, well, last Sunday, Nikki Lake said, did you get my email? And I didn't, for whatever reason, technologically I didn't. But I said, just resend it to me. So she did this week. And this is what the email says. Hi, John. I, I know you like to hear stories of things going on in communities through the church. I hope you get as excited as me as you hear what Jesus is doing. God spoke to myself and Laura Helliwell about doing something for the mums in our community. To cut a long story short, we started Tiddlywinks. We felt supported by the church, as Nicola Bryce told us of a format that worked and also provided us with children's beakers and adult cups with lids to keep the children safe. It's been such a privilege to serve God in this way. I really feel like I'm doing church out of church. We meet every other week and talk about a different topic. People really open up and share at these times and we get to be open too and share our faith with them. Laura and I have been able to 
be Jesus and organize food rotors, give support, prayer, and show care. God also spoke to me about organizing a marriage communication course. My husband Matt's parents ran it and Laura and Cy Halliwell hosted it in their home. And a lady from Tiddlywinks came with her husband and they really valued this. They were especially pleased when I said it was a free course. How amazing, she writes, to be part of a church that gives time and effort to people they don't even know. Our small group helped a mum from Tiddlywinks with her garden. She was so thankful as it was a mammoth task and now her daughter gets to play in the garden. And finally, we've been camping. The dads all met and we had a fab time. It looks like it'll be an annual thing. I'm, de- I'm so desperate and just cannot wait to see these wonderful people meet Jesus for he has given me his heart for them. Laura now runs Tiddlywinks Group at her house and is reaching other mums and a few others from Trent and that is also such a blessing to so many. To, so many. to God be the glory, Nikki Lake. We should probably applaud that. There are so many, so many stories I could share, uh, time doesn't allow it. You are an outward-looking church, and Debbie and I are just so grateful for all that God is doing through you. God has established some great foundations here, and as we enter into this new term, making room for more, it's important that we give ourselves to digging deeper in our own spiritual life and in the life of the church to strengthen those foundations in preparation for the greater weight that will rest upon them. So how can we grow in our being an outward-looking church? Well, we are the bricks, the stones that God uses to build Trent Vineyard. We're all sent on God's mission. We are, in fact, missionaries. Now, when you use that word missionary, people often think of those who've been sent off to a distant land, to a different culture, often speaking a different language. And it's a wonderful thing when people do that. Many of you will be aware of what we call our Maddo Ministries, making a difference overseas and uh, supporting and praying for members of this church who have now moved to different parts of the world. Perhaps some of you will do that. Perhaps one day you'll find yourself being a missionary in a foreign culture. But most of us are called to our own communities, to our own city, our own town, our streets, offices, universities, colleges, schools, our own sports teams, friendship groups, clubs, gyms. For most of us, being an outward-looking church, obeying God's exhortation to go, means going with him to the places that we already frequent. It's actually much easier than learning another language and going and living in a foreign land. Actually just to go where we always go, you know, this week, where you're going. And although we're we're not called to be overseas missionaries, there's much that we could learn from those who are, which would really, really help us in our effectiveness. 14 years ago, I visited Iraq with a team of church leaders and missionaries. It was about five weeks after the end of the war and the statue of Saddam Hussein had come down. And here's a picture of a few of us. I'm the short one amongst these very, very tall bunch of Americans. And we drove from Jordan right across the desert to Baghdad, and then we drove down to Basra and uh, visited some other places in between. And someone uh, a friend knew had offered millions of dollars worth of medicines 
And we were, as part of our trip's purpose, planning how to get that into the country and into hospitals, which along with so much of the country was just in desperate need. There was no, there was no government, there were no police, there was no law and order, and there were basically the hospitals had no medicines. So people were doing operations while we were there in the hospital we visited with no anesthetic. That people were dying for the lack of an antibiotic. And so uh, we subsequently sent a team, three people from here volunteered to go, risking their lives to actually go and help deliver that uh, medicines. Now it's fair to say I was there for about eight days, I think, and my time in Iraq was not the easiest trip I've ever been on. I was out of my comfort zone all of the time, traveling vast distances through the desert where armed bandits were a very real threat uh, and in fact, my friends about three weeks before had been driven off the road and robbed. And although the war was officially over, Iraqis, civilians and soldiers were dying every day I was there. And there was this constant sense of being in a war zone, or much of the time, with tanks roaring through the city streets, soldiers were on edge, and the occasional overhead thudding sound of military helicopters reminding us that this place was far from safe. It wasn't much fun getting up in, at five in the morning and finding a cockroach scuttling over my boots or trying to eat the half-cooked poisonous looking meat on a plate shared by our counted at one point. I thought, this is unreal, this is surreal. How can you have a dozen flies on one plate with your lamb kebab? But you know, it was, it was, that was the case. It was over 100 degrees and with the occasional dust storm, you see the color of the sky in this picture no longer blue, but the same color as the desert. And that fine sand got everywhere, in our eyes, got between our teeth. And uh, with the occasional explosion during the day, the crackle of automatic gunfire punctuating the evenings, with soldiers dying every day that we were there, there were plenty of safer places to be. But we were on a mission from God. We knew we were sent. We knew, you know, I tested it because before you do, take stupid risks like that, you need to make sure God's in it. And Debbie and I, you know, had made sure, yep, the Lord is calling me to go. And while we were there, we, we were on a mission. So we went out every day onto the streets of Basra, Baghdad, wherever, to talk with people about Jesus' love for them and to pray for them. And in talking with them about their plight, every single person we offered to pray for and asked Jesus to bring his comfort gladly accepted we spent time with British and US soldiers, talking with them, praying for them, and give, giving them little booklets which explain the good news of Jesus. One of the most surreal moments of the trip that I recall was that we were divided up into pairs as we went into Basra. And I was paired up with someone who was a very experienced missionary in the Middle East and um, spoke fluent Arabic. So the two of us, and he said, why don't we go down to the very center of Basra and how do you feel about standing up and preaching the gospel? So I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. He said, um, you know, I'll start in Arabic and then you can kind of take over and I'll translate for you. So we'll, we'll do that and a crowd will gather and so on. Uh, he said, just before we go, just, you know, you need to be aware because I have a lot of experience in the Middle East, what can happen. This could turn into a riot. Um, and uh, we may get stoned. And so I said, okay, um, I guess the Apostle Paul was up for it. So, you know, we're here on a mission from God, so <laughs> let's go. And we went down to the city center there, and we were probably uh, the first two white faces 
many of those people had ever seen, not in a military uniform. And so as soon as we stepped up in the, in the center of the square, just the crowd, we were surrounded by this massive, massive crowd, and most of them trying to hand us something to give to Tony Blair or George Bush, some message um, about, about their plight. There really was some terrible things going on. We then, as we came back, we left some of the team there. They had deliberately chosen to do that. Uh, some of whom were then kidnapped by Muqtada al-Sadr's militia, interrogated over a period of days, and then they were all released. But uh, the question we were probably asked the most by Iraqi locals and indeed by soldiers alike was, what are you doing here? Why are you here? In what was arguably the most dangerous country in the world for a Brit and a group of Americans at that time, and we told them we were representing Jesus who had sent us to tell them that he loved them and he cared about them in their distress. Now looking back on that experience 14 years ago, it highlighted something in my life. It was really, it challenged me a lot at the time. And whenever I reflect on this experience, it, challenged me, it challenges me again. Why does a ministry trip plane ticket have the effect of turning us from our sort of plodding along Christian life suddenly into super Christian? You know, for the duration of our ministry trip, only to then return to normal within about a day of getting off the plane. Some of you have been on ministry trips. You know exactly what I mean. There's something that comes upon you as you think, I'm on a mission from God. And then we slip back into normality. People who go on ministry trips have a sense of urgent mission. The word missionary simply means sent one. And every one of us who is a follower of Jesus is sent. We are all missionaries. We're all sent people. We're all on a mission from God. It's just that most of us are sent to Nottingham. And if you live somewhere else, that's where you're sent. God would love us to live with a mindset that missionaries have, that we are on a mission from God in our daily lives. William Temple, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury in the beginning of the 20th century, he once described the church as probably the only club which exists for the benefit of its non-members. And it's our prayer that as a church, we would continue to grow in our focus, that we exist for the benefit of those outside the church. On the day of Pentecost, there were many fewer than there are in this room tonight, gathered, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. They received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They got fired up about being missionaries. And they, they suddenly became bold and courageous and the early church exploded into life and in one text it said, turned the world upside down. Imagine the impact of this group of hundreds this evening. If we took seriously our calling to be missionaries to Nottingham. If we took seriously the exhortation to go to our streets, our neighbors, our offices, our universities, schools, sports teams, friendship groups, clubs, go to our gym with that same sense of calling and purpose that embodies, or even a fraction of it, of what embodies that super Christian. The people in the early church, they're gone, right? But the Holy Spirit is the same today as he was then. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus is recorded as saying to his disciples that something would happen to them when the Holy Spirit came. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
Power for what? Many of us have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit touching us as we heard that story earlier on of Dave's leg being healed. As the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit touches us and we love it when he does, he heals our wounds, he changes us to become that bit more like Jesus, he calls us or causes us to feel, uh, fall deeper in love with him, all sorts of things, but Jesus goes on to tell us what that power is primarily there to do. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's the city they were in, in Jerusalem, sorry, in Judea and Samaria, that's the area they were in and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is sometimes known in theological books as the missionary spirit. And he gives us that sense of mission, he anoints us and he equips us to go. The Great Commission begins, go. Go into all the world, make disciples. Not all of us here in the, in the church can be involved in the various outward-looking kinds of ministries. Uh, you know, our outward-looking ministries, they're wonderful things and they enable us to do more together than we could possibly do if we just did these things on our own. But most of what we do as a church is not ministries-based. You know, we have rotors and things that enable that to happen, but we are the church 24 hours a day, 168 hours a week, and when we're not asleep, we are missionaries. So wherever we are, we are the church. Within the church, there are all sorts of areas of ministry which serve those within, and uh, it's a good job they do. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a place from which to be sent. So, you know, people who welcome the newcomer and service refreshments and make popcorn after the service tonight or help us find a place to park or a place to sit, lead us in worship and amplify the sound and display the words of the songs and give us information and look after our children and our youth and invest in them. You know, many of you are called to minister to individuals within the church and indeed you lead small groups and it's absolutely vital that we care for the flock that's entrusted to us. And so in talking about being outward looking, I'm not for a moment undervaluing all that you do in serving the church. If we didn't have a place to gather, if we didn't have small groups, like I say, we wouldn't have a base from which to go. One little application you could think of is this card that you may be sitting on. And if you consider, as I'm considering him, I can invite because it's not that hard, is it, to pray about and give that to someone. I mean, it might be marginally embarrassing if they say no. At least no one's trying to kidnap you or shoot at you. You know, it's not so bad. And I would just offer the challenge to all of you. What about all of you taking that card home, praying about and inviting someone? They won't all come, but as a we challenge, as an immediate application of being an outward-looking church. Jesus called his followers to come to him, to be fulfilled in him, and to follow him to do what he was doing with him, and he's calling each of us today to do the same. Some of you here this evening may not have responded yet to that invitation that Jesus issues. Come, come to Jesus, and if you would like to accept that invitation, and with it the beginning of the most incredible adventure of walking with Jesus, there's gonna be an opportunity in a couple of minutes for you to do that. If you're 
visiting tonight or if you're just still deciding whether to call Trent Vineyard your home, please know that you're really welcome here tonight. But if you do call Trent your home, I really would encourage you to just consider how am I being a part of helping Trent Vineyard to be an outward-looking church? Those of us who are already followers of Jesus, who have already received his call to come to him, the Lord is today reminding us of the command to go. And there are lots of areas, if you're looking for an area of ministry to get involved in, a lot of things that are very outward looking. And uh, if you're not involved in one of those or you're not involved in anything, you might like to go to the Connect area afterwards and just say, you know, what is there? And there's the form and things that you can tick a box in. Someone would love to embrace you into getting involved perhaps once a month in an area of ministry. Being with Jesus means going to places that he goes to, to the materially, emotionally, and spiritually poor, to the sick, to the needy, and to our neighbor who on the surface doesn't seem to need anything. They do underneath. Being an outward-looking church is an exciting adventure into the amazing things that God is doing. It's an incredible thing to see Jesus changing lives. We're not supposed to just be spectators watching the amazing things and hearing about them, things that he does, we are invited to participate to join his mission in response to his great commission. 